name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors at Everyday Church. We're going to be going through a slightly different focus this morning. We've been going through a journey through the book of Exodus, but this week we're going to just take a pause from that focus and celebrate something really, really remarkable and enjoy talking about something really, really special. I don't know if you have any recent experiences of having to wait for something, particularly something where you don't have any control of or you're perhaps unsure of the outcome. Maybe the result of a job interview or the arrival of a baby. Maybe you've stood in the arrivals lounge at an airport and you're waiting for a family member to arrive. I, I remember still so clearly, even though it was many years ago, waiting at the end of an aisle, exactly where I'm standing now, waiting for my bride to arrive. And that, that feeling of nervous anticipation, the adrenaline as you wait for something. There's something really unsettling about having to wait, but also something quite hopeful and exhilarating as expectation stirs within here. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, there's this enormous pause moment, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Now, not everybody listening to this talk will be familiar with the Bible, so let me just explain. Acts is a book in the Bible that gives an account of what follows immediately after the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The book of Acts was recorded by Luke, the the same doctor and historian who wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke records a few final but very important commands or comments that Jesus shared with his followers. Jesus says, so this is Acts chapter 1, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to say to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they may hear this and they're thinking, okay, I've got some more questions, Jesus. When exactly? How? Why? Keep talking, keep talking. But no, in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 it says, after he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wow, what? that's a cliffhanger or what? Perhaps you're hearing some of these fairly unusual details for the first time. I want to encourage you just to stick with me for a little while. We're going to jump forward now into Acts chapter 2, just a few verses ahead of where I've just read. And it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So the followers of Jesus are waiting patiently for something to happen, unsure exactly of what or of who they are expecting. And they, and I guess we as well, we find what happens is within a set of the the framework or a time within the Jewish calendar called Pentecost, this ancient and a major festival that resulted in thousands of Jewish pilgrims coming back to Jerusalem from many surrounding nations. So there's a buzz there's, there's people arriving to celebrate this festival. There's a, a mix of culture, a mix of languages. And the followers of Jesus are there just waiting, waiting, waiting. Acts 2, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each, of, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, it is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, this is Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So let's just rewind a second. Jesus says to wait because he wants them to be uh, able to receive something or someone called the Holy Spirit. Something unusual clearly starts taking place. And soon after, Peter stands up before a large crowd and begins to give confirmation and explanation of what was happening. Something that was prophesied about, something that was promised long ago to take place, has just begun to occur. Now, I don't know about you, but that provokes me to a whole bunch of questions. And I've only got time to start talking through a few of them today, but three in particular. Why is the Holy Spirit's arrival like this important? Number one. Who or, or what is the Holy Spirit? And most importantly, perhaps, for me and you in our selfish mindsets, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me today? So let me just take about 15 minutes or so to explore those three questions. First one, why is the entrance of the Holy Spirit in this way, at this time, significant? Well, the ministry of Jesus has begun altering perceptions changing lives, healing people, seeing people set free from uh, the oppression of their sin and their shame. And you think, how incredible is that? But because of the religious rulers of the day uh, taking offense at the claim that he makes to be Messiah, he's been publicly tortured and murdered. They didn't so much mind what he did, but they hated what he said. It seems like his ministry was gonna be short-lived. It's not something that's gonna be celebrated for much longer, surely and especially not something that looks like it's going to continue any further. But miraculously, Jesus is resurrected from the grave, and he walks, and he talks, and he starts eating with people once more, and you think, okay, that's, that's very incredible. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John chapter 20 and 21, we see him come back, and the, all the gospel writers give an account of this living again, walking again, talking again, saviour. And he promises his followers that the Holy Spirit will come and fill them, giving them confidence and power to continue displaying God's kingdom to those around them. That the love and the care and the truth and the direction and the grace that Jesus has revealed in them would now continue through the presence of his spirit. The power of Jesus that has been displaying wonderful things to all kinds of people is going to become available to his followers now the power that would see people healed of disorders and set free from sinful patterns of, patterns of living would come to them. The power to know and to speak the truth of God and display his kingdom. The power to live a life that is set apart as God's people coming to them. After the tragic events of the cross, they must have been feeling all kinds of disorientation. 
I want you to imagine these followers who have, who have lived so closely with Jesus that something's happened before their eyes that must have been really disorientating. The resurrected Jesus then returns to them. You think, yes, but then he ascends back to heaven and leaves them again. Oh, no. I can only imagine what's going through their minds in those moments. But thankfully, this wait, even though it's confusing, isn't a long wait for them. That which was promised to them shows up and is revealed. And in the first instance, the arrival is marked perhaps unusually by the appearance of fire and the sound of a blowing wind. Okay, that's, that's quite peculiar. Now, I appreciate fire coming and wind gushing. It does sound weird. It's unusual. But it's not all that unusual when we realize that all through the Old Testament, the appearance of fire and smoke and wind signified or symbolized the, the arrival of the presence of God in their midst. These natural elements that are both visible and not easily contained or confined reveal the presence of the God who will not and cannot remain hidden or contained. The God who delights to reveal his tangible presence to ordinary people, perhaps people like me and you still. Now it seems that in Luke's account, fire appears above the heads of many as an announcement of God's presence that is going to dwell in a new way, in a new setting. That setting being the hearts of his people. Remember, this is a people who are in need of direction, a people who are in need of purpose, a people who have caught a glimpse of a new king, of a, of a new kingdom, who have seen the impact of this kingdom coming to earth and who want to live for nothing else, a people who are going to need a help to continue this journey of faith. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit in this way signifies how or by who this people are going to be carried onwards and forwards by the presence of God himself filling and residing in them, giving them the same hope and courage, the same faith and conviction that Jesus would be with them even after ascending to heaven. A, f a journey of faith in Jesus cannot develop or continue without being filled with his spirit. And here we see that his presence and his power is truly for all people from every nation, from every language and background, indicated in this first instance by the supernatural ability that some of the people received to speak in new languages, expressing the gospel in ways that they were not previously able to do. Later, in the book of Acts and in other parts of the New Testament as well, we discover that the Spirit truly does have gifts that he wishes to impart with those who believe in him and who are filled by him. Charismatic expressions that enable people to reflect God and represent his kingdom to the world around them through the gift of healing, both physical and emotional. The gift of prophecy the gift of wisdom and discernment, the gift of serving and leading and giving, just to name but a few. If you go to Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these are good places in Scripture to discover a broader list of these gifts that the Spirit wants to give. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit delights in giving us gifts that enable faith and unlock the kingdom of God in the lives of those around us. I wonder, are you willing to be open to this today? Are you willing to be open to this this coming week or into a new season of life? Perhaps if you're closed off to understanding more of God's purposes in your life, it's partly because you're skeptical of the very gifts that he enabled for us to enjoy and to understand him with. 
at Everyday Church, we're so open to and, and we're reliant on these spiritual gifts. Let me just continue by exploring who is the Holy Spirit? Why would his presence result in this kind of stuff happening? Well, the Spirit is not some ethereal, distant force or feeling that we can conjure up or, or, or by our own making or our own effort or discipline uh, experience. God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he, the Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. His tangible presence ministered to creation in the very beginning. As we read in the start of Genesis, as God creates and sustains, the Spirit is present. So we can trust that the Holy Spirit brings life and order and formation. When, this, when my life starts to feel chaotic, as it sometimes does, that's a beautiful truth. He also brings help and revelation and comfort to those seeking Jesus. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus says to his followers, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And from the, looking at these verses regarding the day of Pentecost specifically, there is much we can learn about the Holy Spirit. As I read Acts, as I've been looking at it over the last few days, I see that his timing and his movement are not predictable or controllable. Look at verse 2. He, he descends, he, he shows up suddenly. His presence is tangible. He, he can be felt, experienced, and known. In verse 3 and, and 4, his, it says his presence fills the whole house. They each see the Spirit come down and rest upon one another. There have been plenty of times in, in my life where his presence has not felt near because I've not received him. I've not, I've not been open to him. I've been preoccupied with trying to see life filled with other things. And I've been in settings with just by myself and with others where he has felt right there. As close as close can be. As my heart opens to him, as, as I'm welcomed, uh, as I welcome him, as I welcome the, the, the prospect of being changed by him, let me tell you the difference between those two places is life-altering. Friends, the event of Pentecost, were, were, the events were not just a one-time event, but rather it marked the beginning of a new era in the history of mankind, a moment when the church is initiated and released and empowered the Holy Spirit transformed the disciples' lives, empowering them to be witnesses and representatives of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is available to do the same thing in me and you today. Just days beforehand, we, we, we see in, in the Gospels, Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter denies Jesus. He renounces any allegiance to Jesus when plainly questioned on three separate occasions. But at Pentecost, this nobody, Peter, stands up in front of a whole crowd with a truth, a, a new conviction. Speaking boldly, but it says in Acts 2, verse 36, Jesus in, in, uh, sorry, Peter is in front of this crowd of people and it says, he says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this resulted in thousands of people 
coming to faith in Jesus Christ in those moments. How? Because when his presence is received, the Holy Spirit transforms our faith, our words, our actions, and ultimately our hearts. The Spirit takes what is said and demonstrated by one and uses it like a key to unlock the hearts and minds of those listening and observing. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a deeply personal thing, but it has powerful and public implications. So as I speak now about the Holy Spirit, I know that some of you will be finding your hearts drawn towards this. You will be warming to it. You will be thinking good things and uh, your, your heart will be softening to the prospect of him coming into your lives. While I know that as I say these things, others will be rejecting it. The Holy Spirit always seems to divide belief and unbelief. If you look at verse 7, some are utterly amazed. But in verse 13 it says, some however make fun. You might be hearing me talk of the Spirit today and you think, I'd love to know more of him. I'd love to experience the the presence of God for myself more. Equally, you might be thinking, don't be so foolish. Are you really serious? Well, the crowds in Acts 2 were divided too. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? When we consider the the nature and the, the presence of God, it's okay to be amazed and perplexed. You, you, you can feel okay feeling those feelings. If God is real, that's a huge thing to consider. To consider the implications of that the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus cannot go unconsidered. If he truly wants to come and meet with people and fill them and equip them and repurpose and reposition them, well, That's a huge thing to grapple with and explore the consequences of, surely. So both amazed and perplexed, the people ask, what does this mean? That question is one of the most important questions that you or I could ever ask. No matter where you're at on your journey of faith, asking that question is always helpful. What does it mean for me and you to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'd like to just help us consider that by just sharing some of my own experience. Personal testimony is a powerful thing. For a long time now, I'd say probably about 18 years or so, I've been exploring and enjoying the very regular practice of just simply asking God to come and fill me with his Holy Spirit. And I'm confident that he has changed my heart, equipped my faith, enabled me to pray, especially with gratitude at the start of each day, giving me hope. I know he's healed past hurts. I know he's restored in me a vision for life. Practically speaking, just to to help, for me, being filled with the Holy Spirit means the daily surrender, a a carving out of, or a a prioritizing of a moment of stillness and quietness in my day, undistracted, unhurried, and just saying a very simple prayer. I don't normally write prayers out, but I've written one out, and it's going to appear on the screen now, and I'm just going to read it. And we're going to leave it before you for a few moments, just for you to pray yourself and to think about the implications of praying like this yourself so I often say a prayer that sounds something like this Holy Spirit I welcome you into my life I ask you to come and fill me today I don't want to do this life in my own strength I need your help your guidance your comfort your power come and access all of who I am Remind me of the Father's goodness and grace. Show me how to live like his son and love people in the same way today. 
Amen. You know, I've had some times where I have felt him so tangibly and times where I felt the opposite as I've attempted to go through life in my own strength. But truly, life is better and sweeter when I'm seeking him and being led by him than when I'm trying to go it alone apart from him. He cannot be contained. He cannot be manipulated or, or harnessed. I, I just know that all that I've experienced of him has left me wanting more of him. I just want to invite him in over and over again. That's been my observation of many Christians as well. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in one's life, may, it may manifest itself, he may manifest himself differently to someone else, but regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in and in the places in which we may encounter him, when we are filled, our hearts are softened. Our faith is stirred. And he equips us with the power to continue living for Jesus and displaying the character of Jesus, exhibiting a, a life with fruit in it, fruits of his spirit. A list in Galatians 5, for example, that where we see we're, we're encouraged and we're, we're uh, allowed and enabled to live with love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but I truly want my life to be a display of these characteristics. Uh, not so that I might receive praise in any way, but so that I might be a vessel for my Saviour Jesus to be revealed to a world in need of a Saviour. I want you to picture this for a second. A, a sailing boat requires the wind to fill its sails in order to give the power and the momentum, the direction and the purpose that it needs. Our hearts and our lives were created for that same need of filling, like the sails of a boat. We become empty and hopeless without actively welcoming the presence of the Spirit. Friends, the more you invite him in and the more you receive from him, the more you want to explore and enjoy life with him, the more you want to display the kingdom of God to those around you who are searching for and, and filling their lives with things that cannot satisfy in an ever-changing world, we desperately need to receive the ever-present God. Knowing that the Spirit of God wants to work in us and through us enables us to pray for healing in the sure hope that he is our healer. Even as I record this right this very second, 
One of my children is in the hospital undergoing tests. I'm praying, you can be sure, that the God who heals is working a healing work on that person right now. It's happening right now. I prayed it this morning. God, would you come and bring a healing work? Filled with the Holy Spirit enables us to live lives that are generous and sacrificial, knowing that God is our provider. Enables us to find peace in times of turmoil, knowing that he is our comforter. Enables us to repent and live lives of freedom from sin, knowing that he is our saviour. When our days are filled with his presence, our hearts see transformation. Our homes and our families see transformation. Our communities see transformation. What could possibly be more exciting and purpose-giving than this? That's why Jesus was absolutely right when he said to his disciples in John 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, I do not go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Daily being filled with the Holy Spirit, our great help, will be always the very vital part of God's best plan for me and you. Don't write yourself off. Don't doubt it. Don't be skeptical about him. Be open to him today. We always need him far more than we could possibly realise. But by the grace of God, he's always far closer than we could possibly realise. Friends, we'll never ever regret what he does in us and through us. Thank you for listening to me today. I, I really hope that it has provoked you in some way. I hope that it's helped you to be more open to the prospect of a living God coming and living and dwelling in your life today. God bless you.